Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. This is episode number four. I'm Michael Citro, and we're going to be talking today to Lee Abraham. Lee put out a, an album in 2020 called Harmony Synchronicity. I'm going to ask him a lot about how that record came about, you know, and everything that went into the recording of it. And also, we got a little news from Lee about a 2021 release. We get to break some news here on Michael's Record Collection. And uh, so this interview took place the first week of February 2000. And 21. I hope you enjoy it. Lee is a great guy, excellent musician. He's played both bass and guitar for the UK-based prog band Galahad. He's also done now eight studio albums of his own, and he's got a ninth solo release coming in the fall of 2021. So uh, let's get to that interview. Hope you enjoy it, and here we go. All right. Uh, welcome to Michael's Record Collection. Uh, today we'll be talking with Lee Abraham, who has uh, recently released a new album called Harmony Synchronicity and uh, his eighth album, eighth studio album. Uh, Lee, thanks for, for being with me today. Yeah. Hi, Michael. Yeah, no worries. Good to see you. It's been a while. When was the last time we saw each other? Probably oh. Ross Fest 2007. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. Too <laughs> far, too long. I think, uh, yeah, when we were when we were cheering you on with Galahad, when you were the bass player instead of the guitarist. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this album that you've put out. But firstly, I guess I would want to know what you put this together relatively quickly during the lockdown, as I understand it. What, what was the? Was there an impetus to just? do something to stay busy during the lockdown or for the pandemic or, or was this just a, a normal uh, writing cycle for you um a bit of a combination of the two really i so I'd, I'd done comatose uh, in 2019 the concept album and i released that in september 2019 and um do you know what i was actually thinking about maybe doing some gigs on the back of that so prog magazine here in the uk uh, did a short interview with me and the journalist said you know as they normally ask any live dates and I said no not really and the journalist said to me well actually as this is a concept album you could actually you know because you've got a band that help you out with doing the album and I said well yeah kind of and he said why don't you just do a festival date somewhere and just play the album and just like advertise it as the only UK date or the only Europe date or whatever it might be and I thought I started to think about that tail end of 2019, thinking, you know, that might work. I could, yeah, I could probably get into that. So I just started to put some thoughts and serious thoughts around it when the lockdown hit here in the UK in March 2020. And I thought, right, OK, well, that's put an end to that then. <laughs> so so I thought and, and, and all gigs were cancelled, you know, not only large festivals and, and, and music venues, but I do a lot of local gigging here near where I live in, in bars and pubs and things, you know, just, right. just playing covers with, with local friends uh, and all that stopped as well. And, um, and I thought, well, what can I do then? And I thought, well, the only thing to do is to write another album, but I did think that it was a bit quick because I'd only done comatose literally six months before. And I thought well, it's probably a bit quick to it. And I thought, well, all I can do is just, write something and see what happens you know the usual kind of thing that you do when you embark on these mad projects let's just start it and see where we end up and um 
<clears throat> and I wrote the whole, I wrote over an album's worth of material in about eight weeks, which is unheard of for me normally. I, I never normally work that quickly. I've been thinking back to um, black and when I recorded black and white, which was back in 2009, it took me ages and ages and ages to write that album so much. So I never thought that one was going to end up being written, you know, but um, probably took about two years to write that album. But um, yeah, this one just, just kind of materialized over about eight weeks. So, and, and it was literally due to the fact that there was nothing to do. I mean, it's exactly the same situation now. Here we are in January, February, I should say, 2021. And England is, uh, the UK is back in lo uh, full lockdown again. So there is literally nothing to do um, apart from stay at home. Uh, and obviously I've, I've got a day job. I work from home, but, I, you know, I'm all set up to work from home for that. So, and um but apart from that, there's nothing to do. So I've literally just been spending my entire waking hours in this room, which is my used to be my recording studio. And it's now my work day job room as well. <laughs> my office, if you like. So a bit of a combination, really, of a um, bit of a long winded answer there, Michael. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> it was um, it was a combination, really, of just having nothing to do but music. Uh, and yeah, the, the input is to get another album out, I guess, because there was no option to do anything else so you wrote more than an album's worth of material how did you sort of narrow down your focus on what you wanted to put uh, on this album um yeah it's usually a process of of working i mean i <clears throat> i have this joint love of progressive rock and also sort of aor heavy rock um so my writing tends to sort of span those two genres really and i um so I usually end up writing some songs which are quite proggy and then other songs which are quite, you know, still rock music, but less less so in the, on mm -hmm. the progressive front. So I usually just work out all the proggy tracks and think, well, they're the ones that should make up, make up a prog album. There's a lots of discussion and argument at the moment, especially with the release of Stephen Wilson's latest album about what's prog and what isn't prog. But, yeah. you know, I, I've got a very definite idea in my mind what I like to have on an album that I'm releasing as a prog album. So, yeah. Yeah, ultimately, um, it's probably a good thing that social media did not exist when Led Zeppelin made Led Zeppelin 3. <laughs> because oh, yeah. bands kind of yeah. lose their minds when when uh, artists decide to change things up a little bit. You know, you mentioned uh, your, your progressive rock um love that you have i think you came to that in like the late 90s what were you listening to before then what what was your what were your big bands that you were into before that uh i was a big fan of sting actually um so i had a, i liked the police back in mid 80s um but of course then the police stopped in the mid 80s and um so yeah i i, I really kind of followed sting's solo career and, and i was a bass player primarily at that time as well of course Sting's a bass player and Sting was one of my favorite bass players still is really um so yeah I followed Sting quite a lot and of course you know in his own way there's some kind of prog elements to Sting's music you know he uses odd time signatures and you know he puts um he puts complicated uh, passages and all kinds of stuff in his music so you know there was always uh, there was always a, a little bit of prog there um mm -hmm. Who else did I listen to? I've always, I've always been a massive fan of um, uh, Queensryche and uh, bands like Iron Maiden. That, that, but that kind of spans from my childhood, really. 
um, and just kind of lingered on into my teens and, and, and my early 20s until prog came along, really. So, so you, you have this, um, this album that's it's pretty much, other than your drummer, uh, it's all, all the music is you. You do the keyboards, the bass guitar, the acoustic guitar, the electric guitar. But you, since like your second album, you have brought in guests to sing on your albums. Do you not like your voice or do you do you not feel confident in your voice or, or what, you know, what's the decision making there? Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. I, I don't think I've got a particularly nice sounding singing voice. I can I can just about hold a tune. You know, I can just about sing in tune. Um, uh, but I just don't think my voice is very interesting or nice to listen to, really, when, I, when I'm singing. Um, so there, there are people out there who've got far better tones to their voices if you see what I mean um so so yeah I mean you know and and obviously you know I can I can labor away at singing and until it's right until it's perfectly in tune and perfectly in time and every inflection is just how I want it if I was to sing it myself but then at the end of the day I'd still listen back to it and think you know it might be technically perfect or technically right I should say perfect is probably a bit big-headed it's technically right but it still sounds a bit (laughs) <laughs> a bit uninteresting <laughs> so i tend to um i tend to go for for singers who've got to my ear anyway really interesting and nice sounding voices um yeah so with seven songs you have one instrumental and mm. you have five different singers for the six songs with vocals you know what what goes into choosing the singers for your songs is there anybody that else that you would wanted to work with that maybe wasn't available for this album uh, no, there wasn't anybody who said no, which is nice. <laughs> um, I, I usually get I usually get yes. I'm quite lucky actually. I usually get yeses from everybody that I ask, um, which is nice. And um, I tend to these days uh, I can usually pretty much write with, when I write the song and the melodies. I've pretty much got a singer in mind. So someone like Mark Atkinson, for instance, who I've used an awful lot over the last three or four albums, his voice is quite um, a fantastic voice to listen to. He's got great tone, um, but he's he's very much a lower register singer. He can't sing very high, uh, and that's purely just because of his range. And um, so when I've written songs in the past and, it, uh, and the melodies that I'm writing tend to come out in the lower register, I automatically think, Mark would be great for this song, you know, because it's it's right in that register for him. It might be the kind of tempo that he's used to singing. Um, and opposed to that, you know, if it's a more rockier song that needs a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a David Coverdale type delivery or something, you know, um, you know, then obviously I would think, well, that's obviously not Mark at all, you know, and I'd, I'd think about somebody else, you know, like maybe Deck Burke or uh, or and I'd be, use Peter Jones on the last album actually. I don't know if how familiar US audiences are with Peter, but um, fantastic singer, really good. Um, he's really got that smooth sort of, um, I, I hate to say 80s kind of delivery, but you know, um, there's a song called Stay on the new album, which is very much a kind of a, a Phil Collins type Genesis type uh, type feel to the song. And, um, and I thought that Peter would be ideal for that because Peter does a brilliant sort of, almost like a pastiche of that kind of era. And his voice is just so suited to it. And I sent him the song and luckily he said yes, as everybody else did. 
I, I have to admit, I wasn't terribly uh, aware of him and, and I was, I was very taken with his, his vocal performance. I thought he did a great job on the song. Mm. You finally incorporated Stu Nicholson into one of your uh, solo albums. Uh, yep. But Stu's vocal on the opening track is uh, is definitely less theatrical and dramatic than what we get in Galahad. Was that intentional? Um, I don't know, really. Um, I mean, you know, the way I do these things is that I, I you know, demo the demo the vocals i mean the the, the music that, that gets sent out to the singers is what you hear on the album because you know i'm just recording i, I got all my gear permanently set up so it's not like some musicians who i know don't have their gear permanently set up where they might just do a scratch demo on a on a guitar or whatever you know when i when i'm writing and and forming these songs i'm actually recording the guitar parts and i'm recording the piano parts i'm recording the bass parts and everything goes down almost straight away. So um, that gets sent off to Gerald, who does the drums. He's fully set up with his own studio and records drums at home. Uh, and he then sends me the drums back through and I mix them in. And then it goes off to the, um, <clears throat> the guys who are doing the vocals and they get the finished product with my really bad <laughs> demo <laughs> vocal over the top. So so I've, I've written the melody to what I want them to sing. And most of the time, um, I mean, I'm happy with whether a singer um, deviates slightly or not, or sticks completely 100% to what I've done. I, I don't mind either way. I'm just usually happy to get, you know, really good vocals back. So, um, and I think Stu, um, he just stuck completely slavishly to what I'd done on the demo. And he, you know, because he said to me, what do you want? And I said, well, do what? <laughs> Do whatever you like. Feel comfortable with doing, you know, whatever you want. And um, and I think with Stu, it was a combination of he he just wanted to make sure that he did a good job for me, which was really nice. Um, so he stuck slavishly to my demo and just sung exactly what I sung on the on the demo vocal. Um, and also the second thing about Stu is that um, of course we were in lockdown, so everybody was doing everything remotely. He was recording at home, and he'd never recorded himself professionally, vocal wise at home on his own. So he, he'd set himself up with a Pro Tools recording system. Um, and it was more or less the first time that he'd used it alone. You know, he'd always had other people around him before when he'd recorded before, whether it be, you know, Carl Groom at the studio to record him for the albums or, you know, he, even Dean, the keyboard player from Galahad, he would go around to Stu's house if they wanted to record stuff at, at Stu's house before. But of course, Dean couldn't do that. So he was, and I couldn't go around. I, I only live about 30 miles away from Stu. So I could have easily gone to him, but you know, can't do that at the moment. So he, he was recording completely on his own. So uh, tell me a little bit about the recording of this. Uh, you know, you mentioned your home studio. Was all of this recorded in that room where you are right now? Yeah. Well, everything apart from the vocals and the drums. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, so you're. Uh, your recording studio space. Uh, tell me a little bit about the equipment equipment you used, first of all. Um, so everything's based in an Apple iMac, um, which is um, it's getting on a bit now. Actually, I bought it in, it was brand new in 2013. So it's eight years old, um, but it's still going well. And that's loaded with Pro Tools. Um, I've got the latest version of Pro Tools, Pro Tools 2020. Um, and, um, and I've got a, a Focusrite interface. Um, which is then fed the audio out to a couple of Adam monitors. And um, 
for recording guitar, I mean, I've got a selection of guitars. I've got electric guitars, acoustic guitars, bass guitars, and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, with regards to recording the guitar sounds, um, as with any guitarist, I'm never happy. <laughs> so I'm always changing. So sometimes I'm using a software plugin for guitar sounds. Sometimes I'm using uh, a, a multi-effects unit, like uh, there's a company called Line 6 who do one called the Helix. I've got one of those. That's what I use when I play live, actually. Um, so I might use the Helix. Um, other times I might, I mean, I've recently bought myself an actual proper valve pedal. Actually, I'm not a great fan of guitar amps, I have to say. I have had amps in the past. I've had valve amps and solid state amps, digital amps. I've had the lot, really. Um, but um, more and more these days, when you play live, and if you play live in a fairly small venue, you're constantly being told to turn turn the volume down. So, and we all know, of course, that um, valve amps always sound better when they're cranked, and you just can't do that anymore. So, um, so I, I've tended to move away from amps and moved more towards a sort of, um, uh, I mean, amp, amp modelers like the Helix are getting so good these days and you know if you play with them a little bit you know they don't necessarily sound great out of the box you know you have to play with them a little bit to to carve out your sound as it were so um <clears throat> i use a combination of things for recording guitars um uh, when it comes to acoustic guitars um i still do the traditional method of of setting up my condenser microphone and sitting here and actually recording the acoustic guitar into the condenser microphone so that's that's still the old school method. Um, bass guitar goes straight into the interface and just record that direct. Don't use any bass amps or anything like that. And, um, and as for keyboards, I've got a tiny, you just won't believe it really, I've got a tiny, it's about two octaves, I think, I can just see it over there. It's about two octave keyboard. <laughs> Only because I wanted something small for my desktop. I have got a bigger one, but um, and I just use um, pianos and synths and keyboards and things that, uh, that are software driven in Pro Tools. So Pro Tools comes with a great grand piano. It comes with a great Hammond organ. Um, it comes with great string sounds and, you know, all the things that you use in prog and, and, and mainstream rock music, really. The only thing it hasn't got is a decent Mellotron. So you have to you have to, uh, have to go out and buy a third party plugin for a, a Mellotron. But apart from that, it's all in there. So, yeah, it's it's a fairly simple setup, really. Do you have, you know, where you would have in, in, a, in a traditional recording studio, you would have an engineer uh, to bounce ideas off of or, or to tell you when, you know, something maybe isn't working the way you, you kind of think it's working. Is there somebody that, that acts as your sort of ears and, and, and kind of keeps you in check and keeps you honest and, and, and says, no, Lee, don't do it that way. Do it another way. Is there is there a person like that or, or is it just the way you want it all the time? Um, I have to be honest, it's, it is more or less the way I want it all the time. <laughs> um, but having said that, uh, sometimes when I send things to um, to, to Mully, my drummer, um, he, he will say, you know, oh, what, what, so what's happening there? You know, if there's a bit in the song that I've left, you know, either without a guitar solo or without a, a vocal or anything, he might say, well, what's happening there then? And I might say to him, oh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really thought about what to do there. And, and he sometimes he comes up with a suggestion and he might say, well, you know, what you ought to do is maybe put put piano part in there or something or 
you know, but th this is very, very occasionally. Doesn't yeah. doesn't happen very often. Um, I think probably out of how many albums have I done now? Maybe what you said earlier, it's eight or eight? nine, something yeah. like that. Eight yeah. Um, he's probably done that. Mully's probably done that maybe four or five times out of all those albums. <laughs> Not even enough to get a writing credit. The poor chap. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so the opener is the world is falling down. I'm. I'm curious as to if, if did you go into this with a not a concept per se, but like uh, did you have like some some theme or some group of ideas that you wanted the 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 album to track through as you as you wrote? Yeah, I mean a lot of the a lot of the lyrics on the album are of course about the pandemic and about the lockdowns that everybody has suffered, um, and and uh, I I had a particularly bad day I think. Um, <laughs> when I wrote The World Is Falling Down um, I, I'd come back from um, I think I've been, I'm a keen since lockdowns I've become a keen cyclist so I'm out on my bike quite a lot and um, and I'd just come back from somewhere and I think I'd seen something that I didn't quite like it was something you know how sometimes you see people behaving in a stupid way and you just think you shouldn't be doing that and um, just little things that kind of annoy you really and, and I, I came home and I spoke to my wife and I just said, do you know what? There's people down there and they're doing so. so. It's the typical kind of grumpy old man thing. You know, You've, I yes. find myself doing this more and more. I just said, why do people have to behave like that? You know, there's just absolutely no call for it. And we're in the middle of this pandemic. It makes things even worse. Da, 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 da. And I came upstairs and, and, uh, and wrote the lyrics for the world is falling down <laughs> almost instantly. <laughs> so, um, and, and so that was that was a kind of an outlet really for that particular bad day that I'd had. But you know, just the rest of the the rest of the lyrics. There's a song on the album called "Hearing the Call" as well, and that's very much about you know the fact that there's lots of people who are willing to give their opinions about how things are going, and um, you know, lots of armchair critics. You know, they're just willing to sit at home and just spout on Facebook about well, of course the government's doing this wrong, the government's doing that wrong, the government's doing that wrong. And, and sometimes I agree with people, but a lot of, I mean, I've worked in my day job a lot in politics, so I, I tend to understand how politicians work and things, but sometimes I just think, hang on a minute, what, you know, if, if they're getting it so wrong and you think you could get it so right, why don't you have a go at actually standing for office and, you know, going in there and sorting it out? If you think they're doing it so wrong, just don't sit around and complain about it go out there and hear you know, if there's a calling for you go out and answer it you know right so that was that one <laughs> <laughs> so hearing the call is is probably i guess the the one that the prog fans will identify immediately they'll look at the time uh you know the the, the time of the track and say okay it's uh, it's about 12 minutes long, long. <laughs> yeah. The long one, yeah that's the long one that's the prog centerpiece but i find that this album overall is not a really uh, heavy progressive album. I think there's some some elements that I've heard that sound a little bit like U2. Um, I think I've heard some Strawberry Fields esque keyboards in, in Rise yeah, Again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what what were you kind of uh, listening to musically while you were making this album that kind of influenced you? I don't think anything in particular, really. I mean, I'm always open to um, listening to new music. I have found myself over the last couple of years listening to probably more straight ahead rock and AOR music than I have prog. 
um, you know, there's still the, the staple ones that I go to, like Dream Theater. I'll always follow Dream Theater. Every album that Dream Theater does, I'll always, you know, uh, get it and listen to it and, and, you know, soak up all the Petrucci genius that's within. Um, but um, I was, yeah, I've, I've have been listening to a lot of AOR. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of AOR bands around at the moment, especially from sort of Scandinavia. Um, that I listen to an awful lot. There's a couple of bands. There's one called um, There's one called Work of Art. There's one called Lionville, and there's one called Wet, which is actually fronted by Jeff Jeff Scott Soto. And um, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of that recently. So maybe that's that's the reason why you know, as you've noticed, some of my music has moved away from the full on prog. I mean, having to say, having said that, Comatose was. Comatose was pretty full on prog. The album yeah. before, you know, that was an in, that was originally written as a single song, you know, mm-hmm. to run for forty seven minutes. It was a concept album. Um, musically, it was full of twists and turns and changes and time signatures and busy bits and calm bits and full of Hammond organ and Mellotron. You know, all the good prog stuff. Um, so, and, and I I try not to just repeat the next album, you know. The next album isn't necessarily a complete repeat of the last, or I try not to. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there, I guess, you know, thinking, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to just write another comatose. I'm going to do something a little bit different. Yeah, that's a kind of the reason I ask is, is sometimes that's what artists do. They'll just say, I just did this thing. Now I want to go and do this other thing uh, on the next album. And, and sometimes... Uh, Sometimes they get you in trouble with your fans, as Stephen Wilson. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the trick is not to. I guess the trick is not to 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 move away quite so far. Yeah. So you know, without without wishing to upset anybody, but you know, being a little bit controversial here. I mean, you know, Neil Neil Morse, for instance. Neil Morse is an artist that I've 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 loved for over twenty years. Fantastic singer songwriter, fantastic keyboard player, and just all round musician, as we all know. Um. But in terms of his solo album output, he's been he's been writing and releasing the same album over and over and over for about 20 years now. You know, you think about all his solo albums like the Question Mark album, Solar Scripture, the the um, Lifeline, you know, they're all basically the same album again and again and again, to my ears anyway. And then, of course, you get people like Stephen Wilson. So Stephen Wilson has done the progressive rock thing with porcupine tree he's done the more grander genesis type prog thing with albums like the raven and hand cannot erase and all that and now he's moved completely in another direction with this latest album yeah and of course you know so sometimes you get you get criticized for that so i what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to not necessarily move too far away that I write something completely off the wall and everybody doesn't like, but I also don't want to write the same album over and over and over again that sounds yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> so I'm not saying that I get it right, but that's what I try to do. Yeah. Speaking of Porcupine Tree, I do I detect a little bit of influence in Misguided Part 2? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so there's a tr- there's there's a track of um, Porcupine Trees called "Mother and Child Divided," which they wrote or Stephen Wilson wrote around the Deadwing album. It never mm. appeared on the album, um, but um, they've played it at concerts, and it's it was they they did a live DVD from Chicago, and uh, and it's on there, so you can see it on YouTube. But there was quite a lot of tracks that they left off that album. There's another song called "Half Light," which is a brilliant song. 
But again, it was written around the time of the Deadwing album and it, it didn't get included. And I just think, why? It's a great, you know, maybe it's because the guy writes just such great material that they're sport for choice. I don't know. <laughs> well, they used to be sport for choice. They're not really a thing anymore, are they, Porcupine? Right. What prompted you to write Misguided Part 2 as a lot of songs don't typically have sequels, but it, it, it's, it's very much of a piece with the first one uh, from Distant Days. Mm. Yeah, I, sometimes it can just be something as simple as you come up with a guitar riff and you just think, oh, that sounds... And I think that's what it was with this one. I just came up with that guitar riff and I thought, that reminds me of, you know, Misguided Part 1 on uh, Distant Days. I thought, oh, well, okay, well, this this could be just, this could be Misguided Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's... that's all. I remember I was writing an album with a couple of guys about 10 years ago, which and uh, there's an album called Light from a Dying Star, under the project name of Arrival. I don't know how familiar you are with that album that I was involved in. Um, but that was that was purely an AOR type thing. I, I latched up with two guys who were massive Journey fans. And uh, and I said, yeah, I, I really like AOR music as well. You know, Toto, Journey, that kind of stuff. Um, the equivalent band here in the UK is a band called FM. And um, <clears throat> not to be confused with the Canadian FM. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, and I latched up with these two guys and we, we ended up writing this album called Light from a Dying Star, which was more or less all kind of AOR music. But then it had like a 12 minute piece on the end, which was uh, and when we when we wrote the, the lyrics to it, um, one of the guys said it was the song was called Light from a Dying Star. And they said, why don't we just call it Light from a Dying Star Part One? <laughs> and he says, that's a really kind of prog thing to do isn't it and he was kind of looking at me as if to say that's right isn't it <laughs> i said oh, i don't know whatever <laughs> so we ended up calling this song light from the dying star part one there's never been a part two it was just called part one so um <clears throat> so yeah that that was kind of the influence for me to then go and do misguided part one and now i've done a part two so who knows there might be a part three at some point <laughs> well at least you didn't put out an album called volume three without a volume two like the traveling wilburys did yeah yeah or release a film called star wars part four a new hope (laughs) so uh one of the highlights for me is the the guitar solo on hearing the call what is your approach to soloing in terms of do you write and think okay well this next bit's going to be a guitar solo or do you play it by feel and and then if there's a solo then great and if there's not then that's fine how do you approach that usually very very highly structured yeah so it's it's kind of you know if i'm writing you know this part for a chorus this part for a verse you know then we'll have a guitar solo what what should the background to the guitar solo be well it will be these chords and we'll make it this length um it's very easy in Pro Tools because um, you can almost construct things like that. You construct things in blocks, you know, so you can sort of say, well, this, this is going to be verse, chorus, verse. And as long as you haven't got too many um, time signature or tempo changes, you can normally, you know, if you think to yourself, actually, I should have made that chorus double. You can you can easily lengthen or shorten things um, mm-hmm. or, or drop, drop in completely new sections. So... Um, you know, it's it's fairly easy to do, really. But um, I, I I do tend to make sure that my my music is very kind of structured. It's got a definite kind of direction to it. You know, we're we're either working up to some kind of big end section, or we're we're going to have you know a busy section here. We're going to have a calm section in the middle. We're going to have you know a big soaring guitar solo here, and we're going to you know. So I do I do sit down and actually 
you know, I do think about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but um, what do you mean? What about the actual solo itself? How does this, the actual solo itself? Well, yeah, I mean, any any insight you have, like, uh, do you do you think do you just kind of noodle and think that's a good that's a good thing? Let me put a pin in this. I'll come back to this and make a solo out of it. Or or do you write the song for you know? you kind of have an idea how the the chords how the riffs are going and then you say okay here this needs a solo and then you sit down to do the solo yeah so it, it's probably the latter so you you've got a definite idea of what chords you've got going on underneath your solo um and then you uh, well i i just tend to sit there and and just throw a few notes around and see what sticks try and pick out a couple of nice melody lines within the solo that might sound good maybe try I mean, there's 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 a nice trick you can do. Um, so so Brian May from Queen. So he's obviously known for writing solos that have got harmonies, and some of them have got lavish orchestrations to them. Right. So so the way that he does that is, or the way that he used to do that was to um, to, to write his solo, then any melodic passages that he did, he would then play the the harmonic third and then the harmonic fifth so it's his solos when you hear those lavish orchestrations are always solo harmonic third on top harmonic fifth i think i'm not great on music theory but i this is what i'm led to believe so i i tend to do the same so i, I won't necessarily end up using all of those parts to make a, a brian may sounding solo but i might go yeah i really like that melodic bit how does it sound if I played that bit as a harmonic third? So I might play it as a third and then play it as a fifth and see which one I prefer out of all three of those. Other times I just sit there and just hit record and just go, right, okay, let's see what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a combination. Depends how tired I am, I guess. <laughs> if I'm bursting full of energy, I'll sit there and, and really think about it and do the whole sort of, you know, the Brian May approach. But if yeah. I'm feeling quite tired, I might be up against a deadline. I might have said to the record company, oh, it'll be ready by the end of September. And here we are, you know, mid-August and I'm still doing guitar solos. <laughs> then I might just, you know, say, OK, I must be ha I'll do something completely improvised. I'll just hit record and let's see what comes out. But I always try and make things, you know, better than what i've done before i always try and progress you know so whether it might be to play better or to play more melodically or to play more precisely whatever it might be um i'll, I'll always try and be better than what i've done before lee when when somebody puts this album on and listens to it for the first time all the way through the way a proper album should be listened to what do you hope that the listener takes away from them when they you know when that that cd ends and and it's over with what, what do you is it a feeling is it a message what do you want them to remember from this yeah i mean I, i'm not really big on messages i don't think um I, I, i'm not one of those musicians that says you know i've got a i've got something to say you know that's not really what my music is about my music is about the uh, the thing for me is that i'm i was always fascinated by music when i was a kid so I used to listen to Iron Maiden and I used to listen to Queensryche and all those bands when I was a kid. And I used to wonder how they how they did it, how they got those sounds, you know, how they managed to make it sound so great and sound so big and, you know, and and the energy that they captured in their recordings, you know. So that that's the bit that really 
I'm trying to recreate. So it's all about the actual audio. Um, and I, I hate to say, because I know a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the words, the lyrics and the melodies and things that the, the vocalists do. And of course, that's important. That's important to a good song, no question. But um, for me, I do really put a lot of emphasis on the way that the guitar sounds and the way that the drums and the bass sound together and, and what keyboard sounds I use to knit those together to produce a kind of a, a kind of an audio landscape, I guess, really, if I can use that term. To, you know, whatever it might be, it might be a song that makes you feel good. It might be a song that, you know, gets stuck in your head. Melody-wise, it might be a song that gets your foot tapping or gets you jump, you know, if you're playing live, gets you jumping up and down at a gig or whatever it might be, you know. So that I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is it it needs to invoke a feeling, I guess. And what what feeling does harmony synchronicity invoke for you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so the I'd say that actually the, the end of the album so you always as a as a someone who creates albums you always think about how the album starts and how it finishes mm-hmm. um and i really like the way this album starts and finishes to the point where so you know the, the very start of world is falling down track number one it starts with that blistering drum fill and then the, the guitars hit you in the face so that that was a that was a purposeful you know, then we did that on put. I did that on purpose, and I said to Mully when we recorded the drums, "Go for something really in your face to start with." And he and he pulled it off brilliantly, as he always does. Harmony Synchronicity, which is the last track on the album, the song builds towards the end. You notice if you listen to it, the last couple of choruses, it's getting bigger and bigger, and there's more orchestration going on, and it finishes on a chord that just kind of leaves it hanging. Uh, and I, I dream to do that an awful lot. And I really love that because it kind of, it doesn't resolve, but it kind of does. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. It sh- it, when you listen to it, you think, oh, that should go somewhere else. But actually, no, you've left it hanging. And you, to me, I kind of feel good about the fact that it's left hanging like that. And um, like I say, Dream Theater do it all the time and they, they're masters of it now. <laughs> um, so I, it, it was a little bit of a nod to, to the way, not necessarily copying Dream Theater in such of you know, doing 900 mile an hour guitar or keyboard solos, but it was trying to copy Dream Theater in the way that they construct songs and the way that they construct some of their endings. Um, so yeah. I'd like people to think at the end of Harmony Synchronicity when they think, God, the end of that, that, that ended really well. Yeah, well, it's got a <laughs> like terrific... having, like having a pleasant death. Does anybody ever have, have a good death? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's terrific solo in that one as well. Um, do you have a favorite song on this album? Stay, I think. Yeah, Stay. There's got Stay. When I wrote Stay, I thought, um, I thought, uh, that's a bit weak. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> and I, I sent it to I sent it to Mully to do the drums. And I said to him, let me know what you think of this song, because I'm not sure it's going to go on the album. And um, and he 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 rang me up and he said, I'm gonna use my um I'm gonna use my concept on kit for this song. Um, because I want that Collins gated tom sound and snare sound. He said that because it's just so Genesis. This song, it's got, it's got to have that sort of drum sound. So a few years ago, along with all the other drum kits that he's got, he went out and he created a perfect replica of Phil Collins's 
um, seconds out drum kit, um, which was obviously a concert tom kit as Collins always uses. Um, but the exact sizes of each of the toms and the way that it's set up and everything was just a complete replica, obviously around the other way because Mully's not left-handed. <laughs> but it's a complete replica of the seconds out drum kit, apparently, according to him. And he said, you've got to use that. And you've got, when you mix it, you've got to mix it in the same way that Collins and Hugh Pageant would have done the whole gated reverb thing. So um, so once Mully had done recorded his drum takes, sent them through, and I'd, I'd done the mix that we both liked, and then, of course, Peter Jones done his fantastic vocal over the top. I just thought, do you know what? For a song that almost ended up in the trash bin, this is probably my favourite on the album. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes that just works out that way. Yeah. What's the best way for folks to listen to this album, to buy this album? Do you have a preferred yep. method? Yeah, well, no, no preferred method, really. I completely understand people that still like physical CDs and like to buy the product. And I'm also a great fan of, you know, streaming sites as well. Apple Music, Spotify, you know, even YouTube, even the official. Um, uh, so the music officially is uploaded to YouTube as well. So you can even go and listen to it there. And, and I still earn I still earn some money from all of that. I've got no problem. This is one of the things that... Um, I wouldn't say it annoys me, but you hear some musicians saying, oh, I don't like streaming sites because they hardly pay you any money. Well, yeah, that's true. But the more music that you create, the more music that you release and the more music that you upload to these streaming sites, the more there is for people to stream and listen to, the more you will earn. So, you know, I've, I've been on a bit of a, a, a creative snowball recently where i've released two albums in you know, i've released an album more or less every year since about 2016 so you know i've got quite a lot of stuff out there now and all of it's on apple music and spotify and all the other sites so as a result you know obviously i won't talk money because you shouldn't but you know it, it, i'm not disappointed by the royalties that i earn you know so it's good and I don't think that people should be discouraged from using streaming sites. Mm -hmm. I think they should be encouraged <laughs> um, because it, it will just always be there. It's all the time those sites exist. The music will always be there. And, and what could be better than your music always being there and always being available as a musician? That's great. You know, after I've long passed this world and I'm dead and gone, my music hopefully will still be there. And that would be fantastic. So, but yeah, fully understand people that like CDs as well. So you can go to progrock.co.uk, which is the um, the retail arm of the label that I'm signed to. And um, yeah, go there and uh, most, most CDs, some are selling out now and we're not repressing because for an artist of my level, it's not really worth it, unfortunately, which is why we, we plowed all the music into the streaming sites because they'll always be there for that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some, some CDs still available from progrock.co.uk, so please go ahead there and take your credit card. <laughs> <laughs> and I know if you go to Spotify, you can listen to Lee singing on his first uh, couple albums, and then oh, you can no. make up make up your own mind about what, what you think of, of Lee's singing <laughs> voice. <laughs> there, are, there are a couple of tracks with me doing lead on other albums as well. It's, um, Distant Days. Mm-hmm. Um, we released, we've done a re-release of Distant Days a few years ago. Um, so, because I, I did a self-release, it's a long story, but I did a self-release of that when it came out originally in 2014. 
But then F2, the label I was signed to, they, they wanted to actually take it on and do it. So they asked me to put some extra, tra extra tracks on the album um, and we remastered it and re-released that in 2018 as an extended edition. And one of the bonus tracks is a song called All This Time, which has actually got my lead vocal on it. <laughs> um, so there's that one. And also on Colours, which was my album in 2017, Getting back to what I was saying earlier about Mark Atkinson and the way that Mark sings in his register, I sent him a song called Broken Dreams, which is the second track on the album. And he, he messaged me back and said, I, I, I love this song, but I just can't sing the chorus. It's too high. So um, so I thought, well, what should I do? And I, because my demo vocal was on there, he said, your demo vocal doing the chorus sounds great. Just leave it. And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, I'll, I'll sing the octave below. He said, so that's really comfortable for me. So I'll sing the chorus, just copying you doing the octave below in the chorus. And he sent it back to me and I mixed it all together. And I thought, Do you know what, that sounds pretty good. That sounds, that sounds for me, that sounds passable. So that ended up being on the album. So, um, so Broken Dreams on the album Colours, the chorus is me and Mark singing together. There you go. So what is next, Lee? You, you mentioned you, you wrote more than you needed. Do we have a new album coming in 2021? We do, yeah. It's all, it's all done. It's all written. Um, nice. It's, it's, um, I've, not, I've not mentioned it to anyone else, actually. You're the first, oh, I mentioned it to the record company, of course. But outside the record company and my wife and Molly, <laughs> you're the first person to know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there will be a new album this year. It's all done. It's all written. Um, so it's mostly recorded now, actually. Molly's just got to do the drums on two more songs, I think. Um, so and then, of course, I got to think about singers. I haven't thought about singers yet. So we're at that stage where we've done all the music, you know, all the drums and the, the bass and the guitars and the keys are all done. Um, so I've just got to think about singers now. I've got a pretty good idea of who I want to work with again. Um, it will be mainly singers who were on Harmony Synchronicity, actually. So um, as long as they all say yes, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're still in lockdown here in the UK. So as long as I get material out to people within the next sort of eight or nine weeks, because um, we've not been promised that we'll come out of this current lockdown till at least early March. So, you know, we've got another five or six weeks of this. So um, if, I, if I get my finger out and uh, actually get them the songs sometime in that time frame, I'm sure everybody will say yes, just because they're so bored. <laughs> <laughs> and because they like doing it. <laughs> well, you know, you'd like to think that as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you do you have a, a target date in mind for a release or, or is that still kind of up in the air? Well, do you know what? I, I released Comatose in September 19 and then I made big play of the fact that <clears throat> Harmony Synchronicity was actually ready in July 20, uh, 2020. So I said to the record company, um, look, we can either release it now or we can wait until September 20. And it's like exactly 12 months since Comatose. And they really liked that idea, so they went with that. So, so Comato uh, Harmony Synchronicity was released exactly 12 months on from Comatose. So it was September 19, September 20. So who knows? I think I might go for September 21. There you go. Do you have a, a working title or, or an actual title? No, I haven't got oh. that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a load of songs on the hard drive at the moment. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you're in lockdown, so you have plenty of time to work on it, I guess. 
God, tell me about <laughs> it. Yeah, absolutely. Lee, um, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I, I really appreciate it. And I, I know yeah. it's, uh, the album's going to do well for you. I, you know, hopefully it's, it's, it's another tremendous work. I think it's, um, uh, I hope, hopefully I didn't scare off progressive rock fans earlier. It's, it's not as proggy <laughs> as comatose, but you know, it's still got those signature moments, those guitar solos, still got a 12 minute song. People that have been following your career, you know, for a while, we'll, we'll, you know, this'll, this'll be another album that they'll enjoy i think yeah no, i hope so i hope so well you know thanks to you as well i mean i'm always really uh, i'm always really grateful of uh, the all the people that you know do the the writing of reviews and doing interviews whether it be written or you know video like we've done today mm-hmm. you know because all you guys are doing it you know out of your love for the music as well you know so the fact that you take time out of your day and your life to uh, to help guys like me you know get our music to a wider audience you know I'm, I'm really grateful for that as well you know all right lee thanks so much and uh, and good luck to you yeah thanks michael cheers michael's record collection is hosted and produced by michael citro logo graphic courtesy of jerry cutchins Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter, Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. For the free newsletter version, subscribe at Substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.